Hello and welcome back to the Arrow Video Podcast in media res. <laughs> Uh, my name is Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcaster, and I am joined minutes after the last episode <laughs> you heard two weeks ago uh, by my lovely co-host. Sam Ashurst, and I'm a writer, I'm a director, and I am very excited to be doing the second half of our annual end of year special. So in part one, we went from our number 10 films of the year to our number six films of the year. That sounds weird when I say it like that, but that is what we did. And yeah, this fortnight we'll be doing our top five films of 2020. We'll also be talking about our favourite Arrow releases. And there is a very special interview uh, included on this episode as well. Um, But before we do that, Dan, we're in 2021 now. We're in the future. Everything's all right. 2020 is over. How are you feeling? Are you enjoying your new flying car? Yeah, I've I've got my flying car. I've got my um, flying skateboard. Um, and I have managed to travel back in time, and Biff Tannen is no longer in charge of America. So um, you're welcome. Well, hopefully by January 2021, Biff Tannen's no longer in charge of America. That's what I mean. That's what I did. I did that for you. So um, oh, oh, I see. I thought you were just acknowledging that there was a time in the past when he also wasn't. <laughs> Look. The future. That's how time works. That's easy. Time travel is very confusing. But um, how are you feeling about the future of cinema, Dan? Uh, I mean, cinema, specifically like films in general or cinemas. Oh, God. <laughs> let No, after, after last week's hot topic, last fortnight's hot topic, let's stay away from that. Let's just talk about the movies that we've got to be yeah, excited about this year. There's a, there's a bunch of stuff coming up that's really exciting. Uh, I've got some stuff I'm excited to work on. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, his... I, I can't. I can't imagine it's going to get any worse. If it does, <laughs> you can all blame me for jinxing it. <laughs> Yay! All right. Well, um, before we ruin any more um, future years, let's um, let's go into our list. Um, we're, we're on number five, and Dan, I believe it's your turn. Yeah, um, I think this might be a slightly contentious choice. Although when I saw it, I was like, "Well, no one wouldn't like this." <laughs> Uh, but number five for me is Jared Bush and Christopher Wren's Antebellum. Okay, um, yeah. Which I fucking adored. I thought it was fantastic. And I read a bunch of like scathing complaints about it, and they can all fuck off. It was brilliant. <laughs> so what were I, I somehow managed to miss this controversy. Have you not seen Antebellum? Oh oh you have you seen it but you haven't you didn't notice that people were complaining about it. So I haven't seen the film and I haven't seen the controversy. For some reason this has completely passed me by. So please tell me about the film and please tell me what made people so unhappy. Okay, so once again, and I know I do this a lot, I'm going to be a little scant on describing the plot yeah. because uh, it has some twists and turns in it relatively early on that I think merit not being spoiled. Yeah. And I slightly wish I hadn't known as much about it as I did when I watched it, okay. and I knew very little. That said, uh, it's a very 2020 film. Uh, it's largely about awful fucking racists. Mm-hmm. Uh, Giselle Monet plays the lead in it and she's fucking ex- absolutely incredible. She's a, just an extraordinary actress in general. Just, well, she's, yeah, just a great artist in yeah. general. Oh, her yeah. music's yeah, great. Yeah. Her performances in, in this is great. I don't think I've seen her act in anything else, but yeah, she's just amazing. It's really, really beautifully shot. The opening sequence is a protracted and deeply unpleasant Steadicam shot, which is just amazing. Um, one slightly ropey hidden edit, digital edit aside. Yeah, it's it's just fucking great. Like it's really cathartic and exciting. I enjoyed it in the same way that like, oh God, how do I say this without throwing myself at the mercy of the people who are complaining about the film? Oh, well, fuck them. <laughs> um, okay. So you know how in something like I spit on your grave, all the horrible stuff at the beginning just increases the, yeah, fuck you element of the second half. Of course. Yeah. Right, so that it's it's basically that with racism in this film. Got so it. It, it, it paints such villains, such unpleasant people, that when some comeuppances are to be had, it's unbelievably satisfying. But but it's I mean it, it's a lot more than that. It's a lot deeper than something like I spit on your grave, and it has a lot more to say. And while occasionally it does it with slightly broad strokes, it is incredibly well made. 
yeah, if you haven't seen it, um, it's out on Blu-ray and 4K Blu-ray in the States. You can import that. Um, I believe it's meant to be... I, it, I think it was meant to be out in the UK, but it never came out? Or did it come out cinematically and just hasn't come out on VOD yet? Um, yeah, I, I, I think it just hasn't come out. Um, okay. Well, there's there's an American Blu-ray. I think there's a German Blu-ray already. Um, so you can you can pick it up uh, on physical media. I, I it's definitely worth your money. It's a good, very very good film. Yeah, it it sounds like the sort of thing that I would have prioritised if I'd have been aware of it being released in the UK this year. So uh, I don't think it has, but I'll add it to my list for sure. And um, Janelle Monae makes a brief appearance in Moonlight, which you would have seen, Dan. Um, oh yes, but, yeah, yeah, of but course. one you might not have seen because maybe you thought it looked a bit twee and cheesy is Hidden Figures, and I actually love Hidden Figures. And oh, I actually I had it on my list and I never got around to it. Yeah, no, that's uh, it, it's a great film. So if you like films that that you know explore difficult subjects and set up really horrible pricks to potentially get their comeuppance at the end may i recommend to you a little film called a little more flesh which is not the next one on my list because i've been very good and i haven't included any of my own work this year um and even if i did i would have obviously put it at number one um and we're only on number five but my number five does have a, a, a personal um connection uh, because I'm about to recommend two science fiction films about identity. And you can probably guess what one of them is. Uh, It is Possessor, uh, a film which features the best special effects of the year, bar none, and uh, Mm -hmm. features one of the best performances as well and uh, one of the the best um, premises. Uh, Yeah, we've talked about it a lot because obviously Dan worked on it and interviewed brandon cronenberg and all the rest of it so i won't bang on about it too much but i couldn't not include possessor it's the sort of violent existential science fiction film they don't really make anymore um but yeah my festival pick is is uh, not quite as violent in fact it's not anywhere near as violent um but it's a film called minor premise which for me is a pretty terrible title um i don't think you want to call your uh, really really interesting classic science fiction influenced masterpiece minor premise because it kind of suggests that it's not that good um but it's got a similar level of intelligence to possessor um it's about a scientist who wants to supersede his father's legacy accidentally splitting his mind into different levels of consciousness which begin to do battle with each other um wow. yeah it's just a fantastic fantastic film it, it reminded me of um the sf masterwork series if anyone's read that you know stuff like flowers for algernon and that that kind of thing but yeah if in terms of the filmmaking if possessor reminded me of david cronenberg minor premise reminded me of david fincher very very fincher-esque in terms of its attention to detail but yeah both are amazing films possessor minor premise would make a great double bill i recommend them dan what's next from you Nice. Uh, I I feel I should mention, and I probably should have mentioned this last last week as well. Although maybe everyone just assumed they'd be my top three, but uh, I have made the uh, the decision not to include any films I worked on uh, in my top ten list, no matter how much I love them. Yes, uh, which so is exactly you, why a little more flesh is not on your. That's what you're saying, isn't it? It's not possessive yes. you're talking about there. It, yeah, it's, it's, a, little it's a little more flesh. Yeah, yeah. A that... Little more flesh. I can't. I can't talk about little more flesh. It hasn't come out in this country. Oh, this that's year. oh, that's very good, Dan. That I mean you stick to that rule mercilessly <laughs> yep i do don't listen to that when i get to my number one slot <laughs> i love it what's next from you <laughs> uh my next for me we talked to last uh last episode last issue uh about the invisible man coming out as a like a an experimental high price rental yeah. early lockdown uh when the studios were panicking about what to do in the absence of open cinemas and with at the time uh too much material too much content on their hands yes (laughs) oh those are the days um the other of the films that came out uh for grown-ups in that first sort of test week uh is my number four and it's the hunt oh cool yeah which i yeah had an enormous amount of fun with there are some elements to it that maybe don't quite gel and could upon too much examination be considered politically a little problematic 
but uh, I trust the filmmaker involved to have the best intentions at heart, and I had a, a right old time with it. Again, I don't want to say too much about it. Uh, it's violent, it's funny, uh, it's scathing, and it's pretty left-wing, so you should watch it. Brilliant. I'd actually avoided it because I'd heard it was pretty right-wing, but if it is, if it's one of these instances where people have kind of missed some subtext then uh, I'll definitely add it to my list. It's it's it basically without trying without giving away too much of the plot and this is a very minor spoiler so skip 10 you know 15 30 seconds if if you're too worried about it but it basically posits the question what if the left wing in America behaved like the right wing. Oh okay. Oh that's very interesting. Oh I that is I I'm definitely on that. That sounds very much but, up my street. Excellent. Yeah, one of the one of the big problems with political discourse in America is this whole they go low we go high thing. Yeah. Uh, and that whenever the left do give as good as they get or even like 10 percent as good as they get the right throw their hands up and complain about being attacked and censored and you know which is a bit fucking rich from those snowflake twats um (laughs) sorry (laughs) you tell we're we're two hours into recording (laughs) yeah i mean my my fear on that one is that um the tactics of the left work best on the left and mm. they don't generally have too much of an impact on the right. And that always really worries me that we kind of take down our own too much. And but this is this is the I mean, yeah, so that you, you're completely right insofar as one of the big divisive elements of the left is that like the right will rally around a single fucking point. Mm. Like they can it can just be like how important a, f- a flag is and you've got all the right marching together. Yes. Whereas the, the left, like if they disagree on fucking the fair trade level of the coffee at the meeting then immediately it's infighting and people are being banned and kicked out of the party yeah so it's yeah the left are automatically working at a huge disadvantage because they've got morals that they actually believe in rather than being fair weather lunatics yeah but on top of that the one of the big problems america faces is that like the left is constantly trying to go oh no we're more in the middle we can't be seen as extreme and it's like no they're never going to fucking respect you for being in the middle yeah you might get a few middle america votes but the way to activate the people that aren't voting is to have proper solid fucking policies that affect them it's the people that aren't voting at all that you want to get out as demonstrated by the most recent election in america Mm. with those huge turnouts that's what happens you know the democrats win when there's a big turnout and the republicans win when there's a low turnout don't try and win over the republicans they always vote yeah well there we go there's a little bit of politics for you uh (laughs) fresh into 2021 um you know let's see how that goes for the rest of the year uh we probably will have more conversations about this kind of thing however i am going to go into my next recommendation (laughs) sorry (laughs) which which, uh is not really politically inclined at all it is the wretched um now this was a very late contender for my uh list i did a bit of a catch-up of of horror movies uh released in the uk in 2020 this week um, stuff I'd missed. This was actually for a different thing, not for this podcast. Um, but the minute I watched it, I'm like, oh my God, that is going straight in my top 10 and it's going high um, because uh, The Wretched is an absolute gem. It's essentially about a teen boy who goes to stay with his uh, father following his parents' divorce and he starts to think there might be a witch living next door. Now, I got real Fright Night vibes from this one and it actually played Fright Fest last year, but I missed it. I think I might have been put off by the poster, which wasn't really representative of what the film actually is. Um, The poster kind of made it look more like a kind of folk horror-y type thing that might have been shot in the woods and i've seen quite a lot of those films but what it actually is is a a warm-hearted but still scary um horror movie of the kind that you used to get in the 80s but not set in the 80s it's set in the present day which i also kind of respected about it and it, it also puts children into peril which we don't see often enough (laughs) not that you know i enjoy seeing children in peril dan but um it's something from my youth where you used to get a lot more films where you're actually scared for the child leads as opposed to watching them wisecrack their way 
um, through to the end credits. Um, there's some actual peril in this one. So, yeah, fantastic stuff. And my festival pairing is an experimental biopic about a woman who was accused of being a witch. So uh, The Wretched is about a witch living next door and Shirley is about uh, someone accused of being a witch living in a house. Uh, Shirley Jackson um, was accused of being a witch and uh, the film is a biographical drama that mixes uh, occasional magic realism with some really intense drama, um, creating some really psychologically rich moments. It's told from the perspective of a young student played by Odessa Young, who's staying with Shirley Jackson, played by an astonishing Elizabeth Moss. We, we mentioned her in uh, The Invisible Man last uh, episode. She is magnificent in Shirley, just so uh, mesmerizing and wonderful um and yeah uh, her husband is played by michael stuhlberg so it's a great cast they're all at the top of their game it is a captivating drama i don't know if it's been released yet um that may it have has been not, released it's not out yet it hasn't come out yet well no, not yet. look out for it in 2021 because shirley is uh, a, a real real special film um yeah that's it dan what's next from you uh, next from me was uh, a last minute entry and oh boy did it blow me away I was I, I had this massive list of films I was going to try and watch for the episode uh, I didn't even I hardly even scratched the surface I was picking things pretty much at random on the hope that I'd find another gem uh, and I definitely did with this one uh, it actually came out relatively early in the year uh, and I think I'd I was aware of it before it came out and then I missed its release um, have you seen Wild Goose Lake Sam. I haven't, no. Tell me about oh, it. Oh, Sam, you're going to like Wild Goose oh, Lake. Oh, good. Imagine a Hong Kong uh, Herman Melville story shot with a, a, a Refn lens. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yes, that sounds heaven. Tell me more. It's like it's like a two-hour modern epic Hong Kong noir. Oh. Um, it's going to absolutely blow you away. Oh, I can't wait. Um, it's about a, a petty criminal on the run and oh it's absolutely amazing and it does have one of the most amazing soundtrack choices in it i've ever seen oh yes oh that sounds like the dream so um do you have any idea of when it's is, is it released oh it's out we- yeah yeah you can watch it on prime it's it's like it's like four quid on prime oh right i'm probably going to do that right after this so thank you yeah excellent. it's it's really good excellent um and yeah is that all you have to say on that because you don't want to give spoilers yeah no i mean like i i i watched the trailer ages and ages ago and it, it the trailer shows one event and then the soundtrack choice and i'm like i don't want to know any more about this right. and and i have chosen not to even tell you about either of those things Fantastic. But they, yeah it, it, it's about a it's about uh, a gang of motorcycle thieves who feel wronged by our lead oh my god uh, and he and he it does, just went up another notch in my uh, and, anticipation <laughs> and and in in a, a minor conflagration with them at the beginning of the film he does something that opens him up to uh pursuit by a whole other group love it right i'm i'm on it that sounds fantastic um now my it's so beautiful sam oh, i'm sorry sorry I can't you wait go, you no guys. no yeah. no i love hearing about wet this neon stuff. it's so good oh right I, i'm watching that after this but i'm so i'm gonna rush through these next few so i can just go and watch this film but um my next entry is uh my third favorite film of 2020 and that was a movie that dan worked on so won't be in his list it is host um and it is part of a double bill of low budget british horror films one of which was shot during lockdown so that's host which is obviously insane and the other was shot in a barn in the middle of nowhere in the States by friend of the podcast, Charlie Steeds, which is also a little bit insane. Um, but yeah, Host wasn't so much a movie as a miracle. Like, I can't actually believe it exists. And if you haven't watched it because you thought, well, how could can a film made in lockdown be? Watch it because it is amazing like a true it's a cliche but it is a roller coaster ride um with a b-movie runtime so it never outstays its welcome 
Uh, it also features Frankenstein's creature star, James Swanton, uh, in a very memorable role. And James is a lovely man that everybody listening to this podcast should support. Um, and he is alongside a perfect cast of naturalistic actors who you totally believe are friends, probably because they are. Um, but yeah, being friends and giving brilliant performances, uh, they're two very different things. So I just, yeah, I've a lot of admiration for the cast of this film, which they didn't just perform in, but they also shot, which, and they also did some elements of production design, um, which <laughs> isn't necessarily easy. It's, it might sound easy, but when you're an actor, you're concentrating on lots of things within yourself. So to have to sort of oversee the tech and other bits and pieces, um, yeah. You know, this is a film that couldn't be made in the States because there are all sorts of union rules that would stop them from touching various different things. So I'm glad it was made in the UK because, yeah, it is just basically Blair Witch Project of the modern era. It's amazing. Meanwhile, Charlie Steed's Death Ranch played Grimfest in October and it is the sort of film that should have come up in the wake of Grindhouse. It's a perfect recreation of the kind of 70s blaxploitation movies that were so influential on Quentin Tarantino. It's about an escaped convict whose hideout happens to be located in the middle of a cannibalistic KKK rally. So if you enjoy seeing racists brutally murdered emphasis on brutal welcome to your new favorite movie death ranch should be out on dvd i believe at some point this year i'll certainly recommend it when it is out i think it's the best film charlie's ever made uh i'm really proud of him for it so yeah host and death ranch number three on my favorite films of 2020 dan what's next from you well it's the first crossover oh. between us and it was one you mentioned last time. Oh. And it's Baccarat. Oh, fantastic. Baccarat is my number two. So for those of you who don't remember, uh, I'll briefly mention it. It's a um, South American... Well, so here's the thing. <laughs> it's ostensibly an action horror, but it's shot like a sort of pensive slice of life film. There's such a sort of beautiful fly-on-the-wall matter-of-fact aesthetic to the whole thing that you'd be forgiven for thinking that it was much more, like, just sort of chronicle. I, I recommended a documentary this year um, about the internet coming to a town in, I think, South America, uh, and the excitement of all the children as the internet's coming and they've got these, like, sort of computers being given to them so that they can send emails and they're explaining it to the adults and how excited they are and it's absolutely fucking charming this to some extent feels a little bit like that except for uh like there's a there's a moment early on where you're like oh yeah no i'm definitely watching a film because is that real am i meant to believe that is that a thing that isn't happening it's in the sky sam you know what i'm talking about i know what you're talking about <laughs> when he's on the bike the quad yeah um yeah but it's it's interesting because, and I don't think this is a spoiler, it's, it's, it is in a very subtle, either alternate present or mm -hmm. near future. Mm -hmm. Some of the, just every now and then, there's a little nod to the fact that this isn't our world, whether it's little handheld devices that someone might have or like really subtle stuff. But as soon as you sort of settle into the idea that this is, because of that, largely allegorical, mm -hmm. the whole thing kind of like snaps into focus yeah yeah it's just fucking great yeah Abs absolutely loved it uh i'm i'm glad you picked it because uh yeah that is very beautifully put i think it may have flown under the radar a little bit maybe uh, i have seen it on some people's lists but um yeah that's one that i reviewed for sfx and i think i gave it five stars because i was just so blown away by it um, yeah yeah it's on it's on mubi in the uk mm. um if you've got that but i think you can also rent it on amazon Great. Really, really high recommendation from both of us. Even though I placed it relatively low in my top 10, these decisions are made arbitrarily. Um, you know, we love all of these films that we're talking about, such as my number two, which, you know, just like everything else, is a double bill. A film I saw uh, released in the UK this year and a film I saw at the festival uh, this year, starting with 
Uncut Gems, um, which is the cinematic equivalent of an armpit-soaked panic attack, only infinitely more joyous than that description sounds and probably smells. Um, It feels like it's been smuggled in from the 70s. It's the kind of laser-crafted loser study that Uncle Marty used to make and still does, to be fair. You know, always recommend The Irishman. Um, But yeah, the loser being studied, Howard Ratner, is uh, played by casually superb Adam Sandler, who deserves to stand shoulder to shoulder with Robert De Niro's Travis Bickle, Dustin Hoffman's Max Dembo, and Al Pacino's Lion, when cinema's most lovable bad choice outlaws are forced to line up. Um, He is absolutely astonishing, channeling your favourite method performances like a man possessed by Lee Strasberg's scowling spectre, forced to stalk the same New York streets on which the Polish genius once stood. If there is a terrible decision on the table, Ratner will pick it up, examine it from every angle and shove it into his pocket as quickly as possible. As one scene downward spirals into the next, you'll be squeezing your knuckles so tightly they'll start to resemble dice. Occasional highs are scattered in with the more frequent lows with the rhythm of a gambler's luck. It's an addiction forming film one you'll roll again and again hoping certain moments turn out differently next time they won't but that's no reason not to hold this flawless diamond up to the projector light there you go uncut gems i don't know why i did so much on my number two uh film rather than my number one but anyway meanwhile my festival pick private chat is basically what would happen if the Safdie brothers watched even more Cassavetes. Uh, It's not going to be for everyone. I'll be very interested to see what people think of its sexual politics when it gets released in the UK next year. And it is getting a release, so I'm looking forward to reading those reviews. But yeah, I unashamedly love this film. Uh, It's about a gambler who falls in love with a cam girl, And it also features Julia Fox, actually. So that's another kind of crossover with Uncut Gems. She is magnificent in Uncut Gems. As much as I just raved about Sandler, she's fantastic too. And she's arguably even better in private chat. So really recommend that to Uncut Gems fans. And I'm going to stop talking now. Dan, what's next for you? What's your number one film of 2020? number one? Uh, My number one... (laughs) It's a film you can't buy in England yet. Love it. Love it. By the time this goes out, you can buy it on Blu-ray in the States. Uh, Or actually, you could buy it on Blu-ray from uh, Hong Kong right now. Uh, Yes, Asia have it for like sort of 20 quid or so. It's an absolute treat. I recommended it not that long ago on the on the podcast. It's called Beasts Clawing at Straws or The Beasts Who Cling to Straws. Oh, yeah. I know. I remember you talking about this. This Um, Yeah, great. Yeah, honestly, it's it's so good, as is so often the case. Like, the freshest stuff is coming from outside of the English-language world. It's a Korean Coen brothers-alike noir multi-thread uh, movie with, uh, m- like, an amazing ensemble cast. Uh, it it's essentially follows a bag of money without you really knowing how it entered the story there's a sort of a a whodunit element to where the money came from it's it it honestly like the the uh, the efficacy with which uh, the efficiency with which it can build tension it can go from quite a light scene quite a fun scene into something that's like nail-bitingly tense uh in seconds absolute like an adrenaline tap of a movie Mm. it's beautifully photographed uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Sam. Do you ever see a, a woman, a gun, and a noodle shop, or a girl, a gun, and a noodle shop? No, I haven't actually. Which was Zhang Zhimou's remake of Blood Simple. Yes, but set in olden times. <laughs> uh, I think that's the only other like Asian Coen Brothers movie, and it's literally an Asian Coen Brothers movie <laughs> um, that I could compare to this. But I would, although that's possibly a little more visually spectacular you know, spectacular, as is Zhang Zhimou's way. This by Kim Jong-hoon. It's a, and it's a fucking debut, man. Like, it's his first oh, wow. film. And it's so strong. The performances are incredible. It looks gorgeous. When it needs to be violent, it's really fucking punchy. Yeah, it's just exceptional. I think it has a German Blu-ray coming up as well. But the, uh, yeah, the American and the Hong Kong Blu-rays are available now. There's a, a DVD from uh, from Korea as well. 
Cool. Great. Yeah, I will track that down. Uh, so many recommendations from your top 10, man. So so much stuff I haven't seen. So thank you for that. Um, and my final two, uh, also debut features, actually. And I, I know that you haven't seen either of them. So they will be recommendations for you. Not that you really need it because you'll have definitely heard of both of them. Yeah, my ultimate double bill of 2020, um, St. Maud and The Stylist. So two debut features, as I say, from two brilliant women who are going to have long and amazing careers. Um, both movies are about loneliness and anxiety, um, which are obviously great horror topics. Um, but both directors do new things with those themes bringing uh, new life and intensity to them so i just adored both these films they'll go in my all-time favorites lists um just astonishing pieces of work uh saint maud is on blu-ray in february i believe and the stylist will be uh, an arrow video release in 2021 i'm so excited about that um i honestly can't wait to talk about it in depth on the podcast and i think this might be the first time ever that an arrow video release has been um my my number one film um and Yes, as well as talking about it in depth on the podcast, I talked about it relatively in depth uh, with the director of The Stylist, Jill Javazigan, about her amazing film and what it's like to release a debut movie on Arrow. If The Stylist is about one thing, um, for me, it's loneliness. And the way you capture that emotion is pretty astonishing. Um, and it's so identifiable and it kind of makes you really root for the psychopath at, at key points in the movie, even though she's doing terrible things. You kind of you want Claire to succeed in, in this kind of strange way. Um, was that a priority for you making this film to, to create a villain that is kind of multifaceted in that way? Yeah, I, I personally love like anti-hero type stories and films that are from the perspective of what would normally be the bad guy, um, which we normally are on the opposite side of them in horror movies. And they're presented very one dimensional, like in your typical slasher movie, we, we are with the victims. Normally we don't get to know the killer. And I'm just really interested in complicated confrontational people and the idea that people aren't just one thing. Um, they're not just the horrible thing they've done and it's not that black and white. It is a lot about loneliness, but in hindsight, I've realized how much it was me exercising my battle with anxiety, which is, I feel like related to loneliness. Like you don't know if people understand how that feels to be like anxious 24 seven about nothing. <laughs> I'm like, um, so I realized when we set out to make it, it was about someone with really like identity issues and wanting to know what it feels like to be someone else as an escape, but realizing in afterwards that really it was all about my anxiety, exercising my anxiety issues into a character. We have a lot of how it came across, all of it, have how it came across to Najara, quite honestly. She plays it so in such a nuanced, subtle way. And there's many scenes with her where she doesn't have a, it's just her by herself in her house and there's no dialogue and she can say so much with just like the tiniest expression. Um, we're just so lucky to have worked with her. Just amazing. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's all in those expressions. It's just feels so real. And the film is going to be uh, released by Arrow in 2021. Um <laughs> So exciting, but I mean, it's exciting for, for me because um, we get to cover it on the podcast and I'm so passionate about this film. Um, how does it feel for you? You're, you're clearly a fan of Arrow Video. Um, how does it feel to have the stylist on that label? It is like just so exciting and like a dream, a dream company be, to be working with for like a, a movie of any kind, especially my first movie. Um we just recently had a call with them and we're like, this is a, this is not how this normally happens. This is a dream come true. Um, but we, uh, Arrow is the type of company that like, I could just give them our baby and tr trust them with anything that happens because I know how much they love film and care about presenting it the right way. 
you know, unlike there's tons of distributors that just funnel stuff out and we, you know, we all make fun of the really crazy Photoshop posters and I, it's just a company I know we can trust and has an incredible reputation and it's just, I'm geeked out to get a copy of it myself. I just can't wait. And um, I saw you on Twitter um, this week uh, researching uh, artists for the cover. What are some of your kind of priorities with that? What are you kind of looking for? What what kind of artists do you like? What styles do you like? That was hard because we were, we came up with a list and we were presented with a, more people and there's just so much talent out there that I really had to sit down and think about well what do we want that also you know coincides with the film and the how we've been thinking the whole time with how we've designed everything um I like everything to be as cohesive as possible so at first I was just like I'd love to work with any of these people holy shit they're incredible but had to think like how we approach the movie we really like put a lot of like meticulous detail into like everything from the wardrobe to the lighting to the set design and even how we planned the music or the color correction. So I just thought it should maybe be an artist who is more, has more fine detail in their work versus more abstract. Um, And we've also approached the whole movie with this modern vintage idea. Like it's set in present day, but it has a really vi- lot of vintage I- vibes in it. Like if, uh, we wanted to feel like Claire was from another time. And so we'd love it to keep that kind of a feeling like it's retro, but still modern. It's not like we're not trying to be a movie from another time, like that mix. One of the resulting kind of effects of exploring ideas like loneliness and um, anxiety is the film has this kind of really sad tone like there, there's a lot of sadness in there um I know you like sad movies I know you like crying over a movie were there any kind of sad movies that that you revisited before making this is there anything that kind of feeds into the stylist uh, on that front yeah um I do morbidly love sad movies but I think it's because they have a lot to say and make you think about it's because I thought, sat and thought, like, do I want to make people sad? Like, is that my intention? That's not my intention. Um, <laughs> I don't have a bleak, sad outlook on the world. Um, I'm very hopeful, actually. But, yeah, I I had actually had, like, a Bible of films that I sent to, like, anyone that worked on the movie. But a lot of the tragic inspiration is from uh, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, that version of Romeo and Juliet was like crazy influential on me. I feel like you can maybe see it in the in Claire's lair, her basement, all the candles and the religious figurines. And we even try to incorporate some of that blue lighting from the funeral scene in Romeo and Juliet mixed with the warmth. But we also looked at like a lot of psycho thrillers that I think have a lot of sadness in them, like Carrie or Black Swan, Neon Demon, then like older films like uh, Persona and Three Women. So we did a lot of, it was really a lot of like thrillers about being obsessed with other people that we were focused on. Yeah, that's really interesting. So um, the, the the Bible of movies that you sent to everyone working, will that be available on the disc somehow or in the booklet? Like, are you going to share that, that Bible with, with people? Because I'm sure people would love to see it. should do that. That's a great idea. Um, I wrote an article, like a guest post for Rue Morgue, where I shared six of them. Um, I think it's like a 13 movie list. I shared it with all our Kickstarter back or some Kickstarter backers that was part of a reward. Oh, nice. Um, but yeah, that's a great idea to, to maybe to make a special feature about that somehow. I'd, I'd love to see it. And um, you mentioned Carrie there, which is obviously on the label on Arrow Video. Um, what other Arrow Video movies do you love? Because, you know, one of, I, I recently had a film on trauma and thinking about all the trauma movies that, that I've grown up on that I love that suddenly my film's kind of in the same library as those movies, it's exciting to think about. So um, what Arrow Video movies are you excited to be sort of lined up next to in people's collections? Oh, man. I don't even know where to be in. I mean, I first got, when I w- was looking at the Arrow Player site, 
one of the first times in cha- you know, Texas Chainsaws across the cover. I'm like, yeah. this is where I belong. <laughs> this is my home. Yeah, yeah. Ah, his family. <laughs> I mean, I'm just geeked out in general, especially to be by Chainsaw and Carrie, which are like, have crazy influence also on the stylist. Because there is kind of a way of reading Texas Chainsaw Massacre where Leatherface is almost like the victim of a home invasion. Like he's yeah. trying to live his life <laughs> and all these people kind of come in and 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 change the, the course of his life. Um, do you have sympathy for for Leatherface? Is he um is he someone that, that you find yourself caring about? I do. I find him weirdly sympathetic. I have always interpreted him in the in the original as like it's weird you say that the home invasion thing, someone said that to me on a different, on a podcast maybe a year ago, and I never thought about it that way, that that is what's especially different about Texas Chainsaw is that every single victim goes to the house. Like he's not like the others who are stalking down victims, looking for victims, which is, I never saw him as blood hungry in that way. Cause he's not out there trying to find people to kill. Um, it's kind of more to something he had, like he does it to feed his family and he's trying to protect his home. It's very like practical from his perspective. <laughs> um, and there's that scene, you know, I don't know after he's killed someone, but he's like, like pacing in the room in front of the window and like hitting his head. And you can just like that part, you can feel how, how freaked out he is. And he's, and like Claire, he, every time he's in a different mask, he acts differently. So he, he doesn't really have his own personality. I mean, I don't know if you ever hear him speak. He makes like a few sounds. He's always cowering and just being told what to do. So I feel like he, you know, is just like a like a little kid that's told what to do and doesn't have any, doesn't know what he's doing or know any better. I've literally never thought about it in those terms before that it is, it's a film about anxiety that kind of creates anxiety, that kind of purges it in that way. Like I'd never thought of Leatherface as, as being an anxious character, but he really, really is. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. And so um, you said that it's a dream of yours to break into series directing. Um, what series are you a fan of? Well, what, I guess the first thing that came to mind for some whatever reason is Mindhunter, because I would love to, I'm a huge David Fincher fan. Um, he influences me a lot. I love crime thrillers. I'd love to make that kind of stuff too. And um, so like a series like that would be a dream come true. I'd love to do more serious thriller stuff. Yeah. yeah I don't want to no. stay in horror. I love it all. <laughs> there has been those comparisons to, to Maniac and to Texas Chainsaw to a certain extent, but it does remind me a lot of thrillers from the 90s so like you know single white female the hand that rocks the cradle that that kind of vibe so yeah I could really see you going into that world are you a fan of those kind of 90s thrillers or yeah there's so many great ones from the 90s and a lot of those like psycho sexy thrillers like basic instinct and all that stuff um which I think is funny. It's like Michael Douglas is in every single thriller from that time period. What the hell's going on? <laughs> but um, what's funny is I didn't see Single White Female till someone read the script and told me this is like a horror Single White Female. Oh, wow. And then I watched it. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's so much like it. And I fell in love with it and realized there's a whole slew of like films about obsession like that. And I, I like those a lot. That's great. And um, yeah, it, uh, last question. Um, it's such an amazing debut feature. Um, you've made shorts before. What are your key elements of style? So what do you notice in your own work that kind of keeps on recurring? And what do you kind of lean on when you're thinking of new ideas and putting them together? I guess what I see this comp that I keep bringing back is a lot of the design elements, I really like a very, very stylish films. And I want to be in that world. Um, 
I feel like I have put like a thousand candles in every movie I've made. Somehow I'm like, this scene makes sense to have a hundred candles on this table. I like really love like gothic and uh, that type of look. And then I'm also really in love with this distinct color palettes, which I think David Fincher has influenced me that way. I was blown away by a video essay I watched on Zodiac where it talked about how I noticed how yellow the movie was, but I never noticed how at, at one point everything that was yellow turns blue. And that's to represent this like time change and everyone kind of moving past caring about Zodiac, but Jake Gyllenhaal's still obsessed with them. And like the, the things that you can do with color that just like blew me away. And so that's something that I always want to focus on and make part of my work. And we really went crazy with it, with the stylist. <laughs> Uh, okay, I do actually have to ask a follow-up question on that because that's really interesting. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of a YouTube filmmaker as well to a certain extent. Like, obviously, I've watched so many movies. I've watched movies all my life, but I love video essays so much and yeah. learn so much from them. Is that a part of your creative process then, like watching these essays and, and, and learning from them? Yeah, I love those. Like, like you said, you just get one person's perspective of something that you're like maybe never would have thought was that deep or or someone was trying to say something in this way or but I also think without those kind of details aren't meant to be noticed like oh my god that pillar is now blue is it's like something that you just like washes over you and that's why why the movies are so good like no one maybe you wouldn't notice that in Zodiac till you watched it a hundred times but that's why it's so good. You, it just like somehow gets in you, but you don't know that that's happening. Um, one of my favorite guys is that, I don't even know if he's making new ones, but his channel is called Every Frame of Painting. Yes. And those are just like incredible. So inspiring. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. Well, thank you so much for your time, Jill. And thank, thank you, you so much for the movie. Um, I just love it so much. And I can't wait to talk about it on the podcast next year. So thank you very much. And there we go. Um, yeah, I can't wait to see more from Jill in the future. Uh, Dan, do you have any honourable mentions in this half of the uh, episode? No, I mean, other than uh, Colour Out of Space, which is the third one <laughs> what I did this year. Yeah. No, I think that's it. Like, you know, it's been a good uh, it's been a good list between recordings. We were talking about how pleased we are that it's always quite diverse, mm. which is, you know, which is nice. If there are any you feel you listeners feel that you we have missed out and that are like horribly missed out. Please don't think that we've scorned your favorite films, uh, even with the number of films that we consume. It's hard to, to watch everything. Um, I actually put a shout out uh, yesterday on Twitter saying, what, what have I missed? What should I watch? And while a lot of people were recommending me things I had seen, I was recommended far more films than I had time to watch uh, in the following 48 hours. So, you know, let us know if we've missed something that you loved. Maybe we did. Maybe we really missed it. And if we just didn't like it, we'll stay quiet. And special shout out to the person who recommended a little more flesh to Dan. I didn't like that tweet because I didn't want to seem passive aggressive, but um, I certainly enjoyed seeing that um, pop up in Dan's recommendations on Twitter. <laughs> um, and I would like to give an honourable mention to a TV series, Better Call Saul, which saved my life for a period of, of this year. Season five is now out on Blu-ray and there's commentaries on every episode it is fucking amazing. It's as good as any of the films on my list. If you haven't watched Better Call Saul, even if you don't like Breaking Bad, please do seek it out. It's great. Um, and also one that literally just came to my mind, uh, Calm With Horses. I thought oh, that, yeah. that, that was another great British debut that for some reason didn't make it into my list, but um, it's on Netflix. It's just a really, really solid, solid film with just beautiful performances so yeah come with horses sorry i forgot you but you're very good right extra features um i just one other thing we oh. mentioned the mandalorian on the last uh, last episode and i said i'd heard that it was i haven't seen it i'd heard that it was basically just a lone wolf and cub clone yeah um 
for those of you who don't know, maybe there are a few, there is actually a Lone Wolf and Cub TV series. It's really fucking good. Uh, yeah, watch that. Yeah, as well as the Criterion Blu-ray of the, the film series, oh. which is available in this country and is one of my favourite releases ever, ever. It was one of my one of my saddest moments was going into FOP and being like, oh, I was coming in to get the Lone Wolf and Cub. You had like seven of them on the shelf the other day and they're all gone. Is it really selling that fast? And they're like, no, we're sending them back. No one's buying it. Oh. I was like, oh, that's so fucking depressing. That breaks my heart, but hopefully... Um, but I did get one. They, they got one out the back for me. They opened the box up. So goodbye. Well, look, hopefully, you know, Bubba Fett and his little friend, baby Toby, will cause people to to go into the, the stores to buy Lone Wolf and baby, Cub. I baby think that's Toby. what they're called. I think that's what they're called. Um, Bub- right, extra features... <laughs> Bubba Feet. <laughs> Bubba Feet and Baby Toby, my two favouritest ever characters. Right, I'm not going to stop dissing The Mandalorian now. No disrespect if you like it, precious arrowhead. It's, I'm sure it's very fucking good. I'm sure it's, it's, like good. it's If you've got loads of money and amazing special effects and you're ripping off one of the greatest film <laughs> franchises of all time. <laughs> yes, whilst throwing in a couple of the other best films ever made. You why, know, what, why wouldn't it be the why best? Why wouldn't it be? I'm just bitter yeah. because I don't like Disney taking over the world because I like my weird um, psychotronic movies. Thanks. Anyway... Dan, speaking of which, what's your top five Arrow releases of all time in 2020? Of all time in 2020, <laughs> specifically. Uh, <laughs> so I actually put together two lists. So I'm going to do, I'll, I'll do them both. My, I've got five from 2020 uh, and I've got five that I'm looking forward to in 2021. Well, how about this? Let's alternate our top five Arrow releases of the year because I have prepared that list. And then you can just hit us with um, your excited four ones at the end because I haven't prepared that. But I'm pretty yeah. sure I'm going to agree with you. So, um, All right. cool. Cool. So my, yeah, my, my top five of uh, the year in no particular order. Uh, but number one... Uh, number five whichever way you want to do it is Burst City by Sogo Ishii I I don't think I realized until a little while ago that this was the same director as Electric Dragon 80,000 Volts which I'm desperate for Arrow to release oh god yeah uh, it's film. never never had a UK release but it's uh, yeah it's absolutely amazing it's a Japanese punk movie uh, set in a future futuristic Tokyo it's grimy it's low budget it's fucking exciting it's frenetic yeah it's a great film I'm hoping we can cover it on the podcast soon. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. My first of this year, which I didn't even know it was from this year until we did um, the episode that you hopefully would have listened to already, uh, Exist 3, which is not just one of my favourite films ever with my favourite jump scare ever. Arrow's release included a magnificent audio commentary by critics Alexandra, Hella Nicholas and Josh Nelson, Um, that gave me a new appreciation of the film. If I had been aware that this was a 2020 release, I would have included that in my best extras list last time. But, you know, I'm at peace with the fact that I could just include it in my overall top five because the whole package was fantastic. Also for the reasons that Dan talked about last time. So yes, Exorcist 3, if you don't own it already, add it to your collection. It is spectacular. Dan, what's next? So the next one I could have sworn came out before this year, but my ability to understand and rationalise time has <laughs> gone out the window, as has most people's. And I was skimming through the Arrow release catalogues of yore, uh, and and I'm, it seemed to have been announced, like it seemed to have been released early this year. So I'm just going to go with that. Um, it's the Jose Ramon Lara's box set um, that was put out. Um, it's an absolute treat. Vampires is one of the first uh, sort of like proper psychotronic pictures that I saw. I must have been sort of like 16 or 17, I guess, going to the French Institute uh, to see it. And actually the Q&A from that screening is on the disc in the set. Uh, all of the films are incredible. Uh, if you don't know Laraz's stuff, they're these sort of like lurid, technicolor, hypersexual, like freak out genre pictures and they're absolutely wonderful great yeah and maybe one that we'll cover um on the podcast in the future because i didn't realize you had such a personal connection to it so um yeah i i I, there's a signing with laraz 
uh, on the disc, like a video, and I, I watched it wondering if I was going to turn up in the background. I don't think I did. Oh, but. wow. Oh, let's definitely do that. Um, we've got our sort of next ones mapped out, but um, in the wave after that, let's do it for sure. There we go. A little bit of admin for you on the podcast. Uh, my next uh, favourite Arrow release of 2020 is uh, Arrow Academy release. It could have been an Arrow video one. I don't know how these decisions are made, but uh, the game, which we talked about last time, obviously an amazing commentary we've talked about that at length but it's an overall beautiful release loads of great extras lovely uh, analysis uh, featurette on there and I just thought it was really innovative and appropriate to release it in a book yeah because the film's so detailed itself and um yeah it's it's a really great set i think it's still available even though it's limited i don't think it's sold out yet i think it's a disgrace that it didn't appear on um sight and sounds releases of the year list um but you know let's <laughs> let's not start a war with sight and sound down not at this stage in my career um so yeah anyway the game <laughs> i'm gonna shut up dan please talk instead of me you all love kinji fukusaku's battles without honor and humanity but uh, Arrow recently released the three follow-ups that he was sort of brought back to the table to direct. The The original five films were based at least partially in truth, being structured around real stories about uh, the sort of the, the Yakuza activities in the wake of the Second World War in Japan. I'd actually only seen uh, New Battles before. There are the three films in this box set. Uh, they're absolutely fantastic um, and yeah it's it, it's just one of those ones where I, I never thought I'd see these films at that quality and so it's just a delight just a delight to see them uh, that's one actually that I have asked if we can do so I don't know why we haven't done that so let's let's that's another one we'll do next year uh, my next favorite Arrow video release of 2020 is The Woman which is probably unsurprising if you've listened to our The Woman episode or indeed uh, our favourite extras of the year because, of course, this had um, Offspring uh, as part of uh, the special edition, which is incredible, but also great documentaries. Um, There's a lovely commentary from Pollyanna McIntosh uh, on the release as well as a brilliant booklet. I loved the booklet on this um, yeah. uh, this edition. So um, I don't know if that's still available or if it's sold out, but if it is still out there, then um, do pick up The Woman. Uh, it is a challenging but exceptional film. Dan, what's next from you, please? Um, so next for me is the reissue of the Boracek box set. I missed it the first time around. Uh, I actually haven't seen everything in it yet, even, but even though my... <laughs> wife was less than impressed when i made her watch la bette um, i still i still love these films um they are significantly more male gazy than i had really realized in my teens when i first came across him but what a what a sort of amazing self-indulgent filmmaker borachek is <laughs> it's yeah it's a beautiful box set and it does him it does him i would say it should do him proud yeah great films brilliant love it my next one is the gamma collection i also can't believe this wasn't on the sight and sound list of blu-rays of the year um it is better than the criterion godzilla release by some margin and it's my number two arrow video release of the year not just because it's just a, a stunning set with incredible art and just so much love and care put into it um, but because it gave us such a happy memory in the email that we got from Kenny that we read out on the last episode. So, yeah, I just love this set. Unfortunately, it is sold out. So very sorry about that if you missed out on it. Um, but luckily, the individual films are being released um, and they're definitely worth picking up, uh, even without the fancy packaging and all the rest of it. Um, and yeah, just uh, couldn't recommend it more. Uh, the Gamera Collection. Dan, what is your final favourite Arrow video release of 2020? It's Gamera. Yay! Oh, sorry, dude. <laughs> Obviously it's Gamera. Um, I, yeah, I'll, I'll just read you my notes, which say, a mammoth box set worthy of the kaiju himself. Yeah. Beautiful. There you go. And my final one is, I'm slightly starting to regret this now because I'm almost certain that this was a 2019 release, but as you included it on your 
list last time. I can't not recommend Old Boy, which I think is being reissued in 4K or something. It is, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So fuck it, I'm going to have it because it's just one of my favourite films ever, ever. It's in my top five films of all time. And the uh, special edition release was just insane. The amount of uh, supplemental material was it would it take you a day to watch it all. Yeah, uh, it did. <laughs> yeah, it really did. A particular favourite is the autobiography of Old Boy, the three and a half hour uh, video diary, um, which Dan talked about last time. But also Old Days and Old Boy Story, which um, is a hundred and ten minutes of documentary about uh, uh, Park Chan-wook's true, true masterpiece. Um, It's from 2016, the documentary. And yeah, that combined with the video diary, and there is some crossover in terms of the footage, but it's just everything you need to know about one of the literal greatest films ever made. Um, So yeah, what a year for Arrow and... I'm going to seamlessly go into what an upcoming year for Arrow, Dan, because you have thoughtfully prepared a list of the things you're most excited for in 2021. So please take it away. Obviously, I don't have a huge amount to pick from because uh, Arrow have only announced up to February, Arrow Academy up to March. So it's not like I'm choosing from the entire year, but as is fine tradition with Arrow, there's more than enough in those two months, two and a bit months, to uh, to, to select a, um, a, a top five. I'm suspecting that we'll probably do some, if not all of these, on the podcast in the future because they're all absolutely amazing films. I'm very excited about Versus, which actually I think just came out, um, but I haven't seen yet. Um, I mean, I've seen the film, obviously. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't seen the Arrow edition. Apparently, it's got the uh, the, the the longer version that Kitamura ill-advisedly, uh, apparently, um, put together on it. But um, but yeah, that was one of those uh, early like delights, like un- undiscovered gems that you could share amongst your friends. So I'm very excited about revisiting that. Um, Wreck, uh, one of the best found footage, modern found footage movies, just absolutely amazing. Paco Plaza and Jamie Balaguero's Spanish tenement block uh, religious zombie horror, just a fucking masterpiece. If you haven't seen it, I'm so excited for you. I wish I could watch it for the first time again. Uh, It's an absolute treat. JSA, which is uh, an astonishing North Korea, South Korea legal drama that turns into so much more than that. Uh, I think it won the Golden Bear at Berlin the year that it was released. It was one of the first films to have DTS on board as like a, a like a sort of an organisational sponsor, uh, and the sound distribution in it is fucking incredible. There's a um, there's some gunfight stuff in No Man's Land um, that's just like the bullets ricocheting around the room while you're watching it on your surround sound setup. Absolutely beautiful. Um, yeah, it's an incredible movie um, and one of the one of the very best of the um, of the Korean uh, films of that era. Crash, uh, obviously, super excited about Crash. I think that was due out this year. It's been delayed slightly, but it's an absolute masterpiece. Again, I saw it quite early. It was it had a little bit of trouble getting released in the UK. I saw it at the Harbour Light Cinema, the one down in Southampton that I mention occasionally. Uh, they double build it with the People versus Larry Flint, and I've never seen more walkouts <laughs> in a cinema audience. There was a the, during the bit over the car bonnet with the leg wound, a woman at the very front of the cinema got up and went, "Well, this is absolutely too much," <laughs> and stormed out of the cinema. I mean, she was uh, right, but um, in yeah, the best she was right. Possible, but way. we wanted we wanted that too much. Yeah, I don't exactly. know what she was expecting. Why would you sit at the front? <laughs> of a Cronenberg film what are you thinking if you don't know what to expect um and then the, the last one on my list is uh the Tales from the Urban Jungle box set uh with Brute Force and Naked City I've never seen Naked City but Brute Force is absolutely amazing Burt Lancaster ripping it up in a tough as fuck prison movie what's not to love so yeah there you go those are the ones I'm excited about in just the first two months I love it. Yeah, it, this year is going to keep us busy. Um, sorry if it all got a bit waffly in places there, especially from me, precious Arrowhead, but it has been a long year, but it's over now. We're in 2021. As Dan says, there's lots to be excited about, especially from Arrow. So we will still keep you company into the new year. Um, and 
Shall we do our social media before I say Yeah, we didn't do phrase? it last time, did we? No, we didn't. Dan, where can people follow you? I'm at 13fingerfx uh, FX on both Twitter and Instagram. I'm trying to be better about uh, doing just effectsy stuff on Instagram and a mix of effectsy and personal stuff on Twitter. So, you know, choose wisely and say hello. Yep. Uh, especially recommend dan's instagram it's it's fantastic not that there's anything wrong with your twitter dan but you've just really what? uh <laughs> taken it up a gear on instagram so i feel the need to to give that a secondary recommendation and you know precious arrowhead dan is probably the best special effects artist working in the industry today and not only does he talk to you every two weeks on this podcast he gives you an insight into his workshop into his working methods and we are truly truly lucky to have this level of access and insight into uh, a genuine genius so uh, i mean every word of that dan don't laugh at me um yeah and and me, you can follow me <laughs> um, on on uh, Twitter at Sam Ashurst and uh, Instagram at Sam Ashurst twenty three. I am also a genius, even though Dan believes that undermines um, the, the genius to say you're a genius, but it, it's factually accurate. So I think I'm off the hook. Um, thank you so much the for listening. The world's most sarcastic genius. <laughs> and we promise, promise, promise to be more professional. Promise. And just to make this clear, <laughs> I'm not being sarcastic when I say I'm a genius. I do believe I'm a genius and, and eventually everyone else no, will I catch meant up with you were, me. I meant you were being sarcastic when you were calling me a genius. Oh, bollocks to that. No, I'm being as sincere about you as I am about myself. Anyway, so much for listening <laughs> and we promise to be more Thanks, professional Christ. next time. Bye-bye. Bye.